Welcome to the Dear Data podcast, where we ask the question, where are the women in the field of artificial intelligence? Each episode will showcase one of the incredibly talented women in the industry and the twists and turns that got them into this emerging field to show you that a career in AI is more accessible than you may think. We're your hosts, Sajna and Marissa, and without computer science degrees, we never imagined we'd end up in the field of AI. But here we are. As women in the field, we've come to discover that we make up only 13% of the industry, with around 1% being women of color. With AI being woven into every part of our lives, there are definitely implications to the lack of diversity of thought when building out AI models, especially because AI really does make decisions for you. If you're a non-technical person with an interest in AI and think a career in AI might be for you, come along with us as we work to increase representation in the field. Hey everyone, Marissa here. We're super excited to have you along with us for episode zero. In this episode, you're going to get to hear a little bit more about the career paths that Sajna and I took that eventually led us into this world of AI. We're also going to give you a bit of a sneak peek into what future episodes are going to sound like. Uh, So let's jump in. For our listeners who aren't familiar with AI, since this is our first episode, we're going to give a quick overview of what it is. So... AI is an umbrella term for any computer that mimics some part of human intelligence. So it's a program that is learning from examples and previous experience, and it can do things like recognize objects, understand and respond to language, make decisions, solve problems. And by combining these and other capabilities, um, we can actually perf- it can actually perform functions a human might perform, such as being a personal assistant or driving a car. And, you know, personally, before I roll out of bed in the morning, I've already used AI multiple times. Now, not that I condone this unproductive start to my morning, (laughs) but one, I unlock my phone with facial recognition. Two, I ask my Google Home what the weather is. Three, I shuffle my daily made-for-you playlist on Spotify. Four, I take a long, leisurely scroll through Instagram. And, you know, lastly, I'll use predictive text to respond to the messages I missed while I was sleeping. So, you know, before I got out of bed, I've already used AI multiple times. And there's a misconception of AI being robots that are taking our jobs. But the reality is AI is woven into anyone's life who has a smartphone. There's been a surge in AI development in recent years, mostly due to the collection of large amounts of data and computer systems that can process all that data much faster and much more accurately than we could. And AI isn't just for personal use. It's driving really, really exciting applications like uh, x-ray analysis that helps skilled professionals do important work faster and with greater success. Throughout the podcast, you may also hear a term machine learning or abbreviated to ML. So machine learning is a subset of AI that essentially learns by itself. It can actually reprogram itself as it digests more data to perform the specific tasks it's designed to perform with increasingly greater accuracy over time. Hopefully that gave you a quick overview. Now, Marissa was the one who came up with the idea for the podcast. Marissa, why don't you start off by telling us how you came up with the idea? Yeah, for sure. So... I've never really worked in an industry where 
you know, women were even close to having equity, you know, sure, 50% of your organization is is women, um, meaning e- equality, but those 50% are in administrative or entry-level roles. It's definitely a problem. But what sets AI apart is that it's not something that can be isolated. It's not oh, the construction industry is male-dominated, so as a, as a woman, I'm going to try to stay away from that industry. We're at the beginning of an AI revolution, the same way that those before us experienced the Industrial Revolution. And what really happened then, efficiencies and profits were put ahead of human rights. And so as AI grows in capability and application spreads throughout all industries, this inequity in terms of representation will get larger and larger. On top of that, and I think what most people who know little about AI don't understand, is that when you build an AI model, as Sajna said, it's based on real world data. Um, you're training a model based on uh, existing previous data. So really, if there's a huge gap in gender data, and I mean there is today to the point where in most cases it's just not collected or it's not specified within the data. Um, So the risk of having just 13% of women in the field of AI with maybe 1% of those being women of color is that we don't have people on the ground saying, where are the women? We then accept the data for what it is and build models on that data to make decisions like who should be hired, who should get into school, who should be let out of prison, or even who should get approved for that business loan or that mortgage. These are the more controversial applications of AI uh, and and a lot of conversations happening around the ethics of of these decision makings. But who is there to say, let's build a virtual assistant that recognizes female voices and accents at the same rate it recognizes those those voices of white males, uh, especially if we don't have those people in the room to make those decisions, or we put them in a power, power dynamic where they are the minority in the room trying to make decisions for 51% of the population. So I myself have had an interesting journey into tech uh, and eventually AI. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit more later, but it put me in a situation where I've had to confront a lot of my own insecurities as a woman head on. I went from the furthest thing from a technical role. I started out in human resources uh, into a role where I was leading technical teams, creating enterprise software in an industry I knew very little about. So the imposter syndrome was overwhelming the burnout that came with that. I mean, I worked so hard to get where I am and I still find it hard to advocate for myself in a technical setting. Uh, But what others may see as the imperfect path has been basically what I think is the single contributor to success in my career. Uh, I've learned to experiment, to adapt, to fail fast. And so many of the innate skills as well as what I've learned along the way have enabled my success in this field. And so going through this winding road in my career, gaining the confidence to advocate for myself, and then seeing the gap in female representation and understanding the impact that will that that gap will have on the future of the world is how I came to ask one, where are the women? 
Two, why aren't they here? And three, what can I do about this? Uh, And so the Dear Data podcast was born to answer that question and hopefully inspire some women out there to realize that the field of AI and tech in general is a lot more accessible than you may think. Uh, You don't need to have a certain background or look a certain way to be successful in AI. Uh, So each month we'll be interviewing some incredible women with unique career paths into the field of AI. Really our goal here is increasing female representation and empowering female voices in AI. So that's my story and that's kind of the story of how Dear Data came about. Sajna, I know you've kind of had an interesting career path into AI as well. Why don't you share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So before I started in AI, I worked in the construction industry. Um, So at the time, I had just finished my engineering degree. Um, So being in a a male-dominated environment was something I was already very, very accustomed to. Um, And I, I really enjoyed my five years in the construction industry. I worked for a huge global company, market leader, learned tons, and it really was an amazing jumping point for my career. Um, and, and during my time there, I also completed my MBA in, in evenings. So again, another great experience. And I think it really brought light to the variety of career paths that are out there. Um, I think from, from growing up in Calgary, we've historically lived in this kind of oil and gas engineering type tunnel. But the reality is there are a lot of exciting new companies in, in the tech industry forming here. So I, I think my MBA gave me an inkling that, you know, maybe construction wasn't my forever. Um, and, and so I ended up finishing my MBA in the December of 2019. And of course, as we all know, um, over a year ago in, in March of 2020, when the pandemic hit, we were all mandated to work from home. And, and of course, I felt super, super fortunate to be able to stay employed, uh, especially when we were in full lockdown, though. The only thing I really had to keep my mind occupied was my work. Like, right, you can't see your friends, go to restaurants, go to the gym, travel. And I think all the things that typically, you know, brought me fulfillment and joy, were kind of gone. And, you know, of course, as with everybody, I made sourdough bread, I made cloud coffee, I watched Tiger King, I did burpees in my living room. But but you know what I mean, there, there's that difference there. And I think it, it was an interesting time for me, because in combination with the pandemic, I had also recently finished my MBA um, around that same time. And so I went from being super, super busy being out of the house from like 6am to 10pm every day, to being completely stuck inside with really just one thing to kind of occupy my time and my intellectual energy. And it it was definitely a bit of a double whammy there. And and the funny thing is, I feel like pre-pandemic, I had, you know, perhaps this misconception that I was really engaged in my work and I really loved what I did. But once it was kind of all I could do, I started realizing I didn't enjoy it as much as I had thought. And I think everyone kind of went through this feeling of waking up every day and being like, "Ugh, work and, and, you know, walking the 10 steps down to their kitchen to, to open their, their computer on their kitchen table. But, um, you know, it just started to get, um, uh, you know, I started feeling that way every day for multiple weeks. And I think at first I felt really guilty about being unhappy at my job because I know so many people weren't so lucky to keep employment during the pandemic. So I did kind of try to ignore how I was feeling for quite some time. But 
you know, after I was feeling that way for, for a couple months, I thought, okay, it's, it's time to change. And so I think in some ways I'm kind of thankful that the pandemic was able to, you know, give me that, um, career path clarity. And it's funny, I had this memory from my MBA replaying every morning that I got up where it was the first day of school. And the first class that we had was a organizational behavior block week course. And one of the first things the teacher did within the first five minutes of class was say, raise your hand if you like your job. And at the time I was super happy where I was and I threw my hand up really proudly and, and I looked around and out of the 50 ish people that were in the room, there were only three hands up. And I remember being totally floored. Like here I am in a class of, you know, super, super smart people, very career driven people. And only, you know, around 6% of them actually liked their job. And it's funny because in that moment, I remember making this promise to myself that I would never work at a job I didn't like. And I think working is, is a huge part of your week, right? 40, 50 hours a week that you spend um, devoted to, to a company. And it was funny because when I actually was faced with that situation of, of not being overly happy at my job, I did have a really tough time grappling between, you know, stability and, and taking calculated risks. So it's funny because every morning that memory would replay in my mind and I'd be like, come on, Sajana, you got to start applying for jobs. But anyways, finally, around September, I started seriously looking. Um, and one thing that was really important to me was first, I, I really want to stay in Calgary. But secondly, I really wanted to work at an Alberta based startup. I really love Calgary. I hope to live here forever and, and raise a family here. So I really wanted to work for a company that I felt was making really exciting contributions to our economy. Um, so I came across a company and could see from the news that they were up to some really exciting things and um, noticed on LinkedIn that one of my MBA classmates was working there. So I reached out to her to see how she liked it. And it was funny because she'd only been there for a week and was like, oh my God, this place is the, the best. And, and so I figured, okay, if somebody is that happy after working somewhere for five days, I need to apply. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was funny because it, it was an artificial intelligence company. And I can tell you that I was frantically Googling very elementary topics like what is artificial intelligence and what is machine learning before my interview. Um, but, you know, after creeping many, many LinkedIn profiles from the company, I saw that a lot of people that worked there um, didn't come from AI or ML backgrounds, which, you know, kind of gave me that confidence to apply. And during my interview, I was totally upfront about my lack of, of knowledge in the AI space, but, you know, obviously said I had an interest in it. And I highlighted a lot of my transferable skills, relationship building, account management, sales experience, et cetera. And I've started in November and am really, really enjoying it. I work on the business development side. So I help take our AI products to market and find some of our first customers. Um, it's a really, really exciting, dynamic job. We work across a lot of different industries. So it's, it's really exciting that every month I get to learn about, you know, something really revolutionary, some different AI application in a different industry. So on any given day, I can have meetings with people that work in construction, veterinary medicine, the legal field, really all over the place. Um, and, you know, although I am new to the AI field, I've really quickly learned that we have this really exciting opportunity as it trends upward to, to teach the right values and the right ethics to AI. And that it's really important that 
behind the technology, there are, you know, diverse teams giving the, the machines diverse experiences to learn from. And I think, you know, in any scenario, when people from diverse backgrounds come together, um, the possibilities really are, are limitless. But I think when it comes to AI specifically, this is really our opportunity to create a, a better world for everybody. And it's important that we have people of different races, ethnicities, gender, sexualities to build effectively um, and, and be really careful about what data we give to ensure that we don't repeat our past mistakes. Yeah, I mean, that's such an important piece of this. And we will go into algorithmic bias a bit more in the future. But uh, really, AI learns biases from humans. And it is up to us to ensure that we have a voice in creating these decision makers uh, going forward. But uh, Sajna, I, I definitely appreciate uh, your journey and the focus that you had on values and, and finding something that really fit with you. Um, as I said earlier, uh, my career into AI was definitely not straightforward. It was more of a jungle gym. Uh, I alluded to earlier, I started in human resources. Uh, if you go back even further than that, I, I jumped around a lot, started in a lot of, you know, administrative roles and um, was struggling to get out of that. Went to school for sciences uh, originally trying to kind of claw my way out of that administrative world and uh, ended up just kind of doing some soul searching. Uh, got a an entry-level position at a staffing agency, uh, worked in the oil sands doing recruitment uh, where I'd literally go days without seeing another woman. There's a 10 to 1 ratio uh, of men to women uh, up there and uh, ended up going back to school. Human resources was something that I, I wanted to pursue that I was excited about. Um, went back to school, uh, got an, an amazing job uh, doing talent strategies and then uh, talent acquisition. It was great just chatting with people and learning people's stories uh, and, and really being able to make a difference for people was what really aligned with my values there. Um, I, I think really at the end of the day, though, it comes down to uh, leadership and and the connections that I made uh, and qualities that probably are, are a lot more innate in me that uh, I never put on my resume that, that got me into the tech world. Uh, so uh, a leader within my organization kind of recognized that within me, tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, do you want to come over to product management? Um, I often say it was like I was dropped on a foreign planet and asked to be the president, uh, didn't know the language, didn't know the norms. Um, I stood up an agile development team uh, who probably altogether had about one week of uh, experience at the company. It was very, very new for all of us. Um, I remember in my early days Googling, what does a product manager do? Um, Googling things like APIs and hamburger menus, um, really just trying to speak the language. But at the end of the day, um, 
I really think being a newbie and, and coming in with a, a completely fresh set of eyes is how I was able to succeed in that role. Um, having to lean on technical people, having to ask the questions, uh, having absolutely zero ego uh, within it all uh, is really how I advanced, uh, ended up taking on multiple products, um, leading a team of product managers, uh, and eventually moved over to uh, a a data and AI team. Um, Within that team, we did a lot of um, robotic process automation, machine learning. Basically, um, we had the ability to solve any problem that was put in front of us um, using any technology um, you can think of. Uh, the, the possibilities are endless. But um, really, I think at the end of the day, uh, it, it wasn't so much that and, and I think what held me al- back a lot at the beginning was I, I'm in human resources. I went to school for human resources. I can't be here. I can't be building technology or I can't be working in AI. Um, and, and really just I had to throw that out the window because um, some of the things that I learned along the way, building relationships, being a great communicator, following up, being organized. Those are all things that contributed to a lot of success. And the functional technical pieces, those will come if you're open to learning. And I I don't think my story is unique either. Uh, I think as we move forward, you know, we're, we're right at the beginning of this AI revolution. And as we go forward, it's going to be the strategists and the communicators, those people in the middle who can take the technical language and take the business problems and find something and create something out of that. Those are going to be the people who are so, so critical. Uh, And so, you know, of course, I want those to all be women, um, or at least 51% um, to, be, to be women. Um, we definitely need that diversity, uh, and that's why we're here, to um, share our stories and to um, highlight other women who have you know, careers in AI that you may not see as typical or uh, you know, are, are outside of the the normal spectrum and in, in the how they got there in that career path. So uh, we're definitely looking forward to uh, sharing those stories with you and hoping that we can inspire our listeners a bit to uh, take that plunge and, and learn a bit more about a career in AI. And you don't need to work for an AI company to have an AI-related role. Being the catalyst to your company's AI initiatives can be really vital to their long-term success. You can be that person that doesn't have a technical background, but is spearheading AI initiatives within your own company. Uh, If you really understand how AI can revolutionize your business and drive you ahead of your competition and help you really blow past your business goals, you can have a pretty amazing impact on influencing the decision makers at your company. By communicating the ROI and the business transformations that AI can create, you can really propel your business forward without having to, you know, write code. We are really in an age of digital Darwinism, 
So for you to be the voice of prioritizing AI in your company could really, really save you down the road. Technology is evolving faster than businesses can adapt. And everyone has heard that, that saying of, of adapt or die. Um, a lot of companies are working on digital transformation and AI strategy absolutely has to be a part of that. Like I myself have never worked at an AI company um, where I started out was, you know, in product management. I wasn't exactly creating AI products. Um, it was more so what features or, or how can AI, how can robotics help enable what we are building. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of it has been around, you know, building efficiencies within the organization. I, I think a lot of companies and a lot of organizations are seeing the value and the money that can be saved with AI, which is great, but it's also, we need to think about who we're leaving behind. Uh, we need to think about the additional cognitive load that's going to be required of employees who are now interacting with an AI or, or a new system or process that, that involves AI. Uh, and really it's how do we skill up our, our workforce to be able to, to do that and to handle that. Otherwise you are going to leave um, a whole lot of people behind. And I realize I continuously use the word data in everything I just said. Um, as you might be able to tell, we are having a battle on if D-A-T-A is pronounced data or data. So you will hear both of us using both of those words because we switch back and forth. Um, but maybe leave us a comment on Instagram and tell us what word, how, how you think it should be pronounced. Um, data or data. <laughs> I Sajna am team data. Yeah, I'm, it just I'm sounds team better. Data, data. I don't know. I don't know where it came from. It wasn't until Sajna pointed it out that I'm now very self-conscious about how I say the word data. Well, then we Googled it. And in the States, they say data. And then in the UK, they say data. But of course, it doesn't tell you what we say in Canada. So we're a little bit in the middle here. Yeah. If, if anybody knows the answer, please tell us. <laughs> We'd be thrilled to know. Or if you have some alternate pronunciation <laughs> yeah exactly. we've never heard of. of a third option we'd love a third option just to confuse the situation a little bit more exactly yeah for sure <sighs> but we really really appreciate you listening to our first episode we are mm -hmm. so excited that you're joining us we are going to have a lot of really really amazing women in the field of ai join us over the next couple months um if there's anything you want to hear specifically or even if you are a woman in the field of AI that would love to be on our show, please send us a DM on Instagram at Dear Data Podcast or at Dear Data Podcast, whichever one you prefer, <laughs> and we will be in touch that way. Cool. A reminder to hit the subscribe button uh, wherever you are listening to your podcast, whether that's Spotify, Google, uh, on, on your Apple device, hit that subscribe button so you can get notifications to hear more monthly episodes from us. On top of the world.